Open your Bibles, if you will, to Job chapter 33. Job chapter 33, we're going to begin reading in this chapter tonight in verse number 9, Job chapter 33, and beginning in verse number 9. Stand with me, if you will, please, as we begin reading the scripture tonight. Job chapter 33, verse number 9, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasions against me. He counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks. He marketh all my paths. Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the reading of the scripture and now the preaching of this truth. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would have your will and way and I pray that you would empower me with your Holy Spirit as I preach the word of God and help us, Lord, to be spirit-filled listeners. May our attention be given on purpose and with purpose this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. There is much anger and bitterness in our world today. Sadly, there is much anger and bitterness even among God's people, among Christians. Sadly, there is much anger at God, and God is often blamed for the cause of sin rather than Satan himself, who is the cause of sin. As a result of this anger and as a result of this bitterness, we see in our world today behaviors of rebellion. We see arguments, fighting, rioting in the streets, and sadly, even suicide as some have decided life is not worth living. There is more anger being spewed on the internet, even from Christians and preachers today. Some have become filled with anger and they're critical of the word of God. They're critical of styles of preaching. They're critical of independent fundamental Baptists. They're critical of standards. They write blogs of hatred and spew their bitterness on social media. I want to deal with anger and bitterness this evening and where it comes from and how to deal with it. The story here is of Job and you know the story. God said to Satan, and what a conversation it is. God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him in all the earth? And Satan responded to God and he said, Job is not serving you because he loves you. Job is serving you because of all the blessings that you give him. If you took away the blessings that you give to Job, Job would curse you. He really doesn't love you. He just wants those blessings. Satan said, if you'll let me at his life, I'll show you that he doesn't love you. And God gave permission to Satan and Job went through trials like have never been known to mankind. 
I cannot even fathom what it was like the day when a servant came and said, Job, all ten of your children have been killed in the very same day. I cannot imagine what it would have been like to hear the news of Job's servants that his cattle had been slain and his wealth had been taken away. On top of that, and while Job is grieving, soon thereafter, Job is stricken with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. Job, I believe, was a judge in the community and I believe Job has gone from a a position of power and prestige to a place of shame and disappointment and pain and hurt. And we see Job sitting in the ash heap with a piece of broken uh, uh, metal or glass and he's scraping himself because uh, of the soreness of the boils. Job has three supposed friends that come to him and they say, Job, the reason all this has come upon you is because there's sin in your life. There is secret sin going on and Job, God is judging you for that. Now those so-called friends were wrong in their judgment. They had no understanding of the Bible's teaching of forbearance, but they wanted to, as we often do, figure everything out and be God rather than let God be who he is. There's a servant by the name of Elihu that gets involved in the conversation between these three men and Job and they each speak and Elihu gives his opinion and Job comes to this passage of scripture and Job said, I want you to understand something. I I am innocent. I have not been living in sin. I've been doing my best and serving God and there is no sin And I'm telling you, in this, God is not just. He said in verse 13, God's not right. God got it wrong this time. Now, he acknowledged who God was in verse number 4. He said, God's the one that gave me the breath to breathe. He gave me life and understand how great God is and wonderful. But in, in this situation, God is not just. I'll come back to the story. I want to say tonight, I think and it seems the more serious a person is about life and about doing right, the more that person can be hurt or offended. And it is those hurts and offenses that we face that give opportunities for anger. And as anger stews in our hearts and minds, It begins to set up the poison of bitterness. And there's nothing quite like that bitterness that's stored in the heart of man. uh, Wanting to get even at others. uh, Wanting to get even at God. And believing uh, that they have been done wrong. And let me say tonight, Christians often have a problem with bitterness because Christians want to do right. We're not here tonight except for any reason. We want to do right. That's why we're here. We go to church because we love God. We want to do what's right. We want our lives. We want our behavior. We want our music. We want our dress. Uh, We want our our conversation, our, our language, our relationships. We want them to be right. But sometimes because we're so set on doing right, doing what's right, We're quickly offended when we're crossed or when that desire for right 
is cross. I want to walk through a few statements tonight. If you'll give me your attention as we walk through these and let's reason together because I fear that there are many teenagers living in anger, living in anger toward others, living in anger toward their parents and ultimately living in anger toward God and believing, God, you're just not fair. And as Job said, in this situation, you're not just. I don't deserve what I'm facing. I don't deserve how I'm being treated. I don't deserve what's going on in my home or what's going on in our church or what's going on in our society. And so I give you these statements. First of all, life is filled with many decisions. Every day we face many decisions. Let me explain what I mean. We make decisions daily that are spiritual decisions. You decide if you're going to read your Bible. You decide if you're going to pray. You decide if you're going to yield your life to God today. It's a daily decision. We decide if we're going to give a gospel track. We decide every day life is filled with decisions. We make practical decisions. We make leadership decisions. Those of you who are adults, we make leadership responsibility decisions as a parent, as a spouse, as a counselor, as a friend. All of us make decisions of response. Now hear what I just said. We make decisions of response, and this is a big one. How to respond to the things that happened in our life. I mean, just simple little things. Brother Davis says, give me 10 boys and 247 come up here and 10 get chosen. And you seem like you're always number 11. You go through and you, and you, and you go back and you decide, am I going to enjoy this game or am I going to be mad at Brother Davis for picking me number 11 every time and sending me back? I never get picked. I never get chosen. Unless it's to stay after school. It's a source of much frustration because of decisions of responses that we make. We respond to the political direction of our nation. I don't know about you, but I can hardly stomach the news and watch very little and haven't for Several years have been preaching across the country about Christians spending their time being frustrated at even Fox News rather than finding the real news. I hear folks talking about fake news, but I got news for you. This is the good news and the real news and the right news. It's one thing to fuss about the fake news. It's another thing to rejoice in the good news. But we feel frustrations and we have to respond to the political direction. As I said this morning, Nancy Pelosi said to Congress, you can't use personal pronouns. You can't say he, she, her, him. You just have to refer to people as individuals, not personal pronouns. And then they recognize the vice president as being the first female vice president in our history. Hypocritical. We hear one day that you have to wear one mask and then two masks and then three. Some of those who are saying that, I wish they'd wear a half a dozen. I couldn't see or hear what they were saying. (laughs) You have to wear a mask from point A to point B. I just always want to stay at point A or point B one. But anyway, there's frustration because of that. 
There's frustration in their decisions. How do we respond to a progressive agenda? How do we respond to the wrong behaviors of others? How do we respond to failures of a friend? Whether it's on purpose or a mistake, it doesn't matter. How do we respond to the death of a loved one? How do we respond to someone's treatment of our children? How do we respond to culture? Every day we make decisions of what we're going to do. And because we want to do right, we're often quickly just offended and frustrated. If we're not careful, it turns into anger and then bitterness. And bitterness never hurts what you're angry at. It only destroys the vessel that it's stored in. We become effectively useless for the cause of Christ because we're so full of bitterness toward others. So first of all, we face many decisions in life. And second of all, we try to do what's right to do. We honestly do. We decide we want to respond right. This group of teenagers, finest group of teenagers in all America, you want to do what's right. I know we, we preach against sin. We preach about doing right. And that's what we're supposed to do. And that's what we need to hear. But, but the truth is you desire to do what's right to do. That's why you're here. We reason about right from what we know. We reason about right from what we hear. We reason about right from our experiences in life. And so we decide how we're going to respond. And we want to respond in the right way to all of these things that are happening in our life. Number three, we want to know what God says is the right thing to do. Now pay particular attention right here. We want to know what God says in the, is the right thing to do. So we open the word of God and we look for a principle to follow in our responses and our decisions. We look for an example to follow in our decisions and our responses of life. We look for that in the word of God. But look right this way. God's ways are not easy to understand. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Isaiah Right in the middle of your Bible and notice, if you will, Isaiah chapter 55. We open the word of God and we read a principle or we read an example and we say, you know, I want to do what's right to do. I want to respond to my culture I want to re uh, in the right way. I want to respond to my teachers in the right way. I want to respond to my parents in the right way. I want to respond to life around me in the right I want to do what's right to do. And we open the word of God and we say, God, we want to know what you say is right to do. We read it. We hear it taught. We hear it preached. We look for a principle. We look for example. But the truth is God's ways are sometimes tough to understand and even more difficult to follow. You know why? Because God's ways are far above our ways. Notice what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55 and verse number 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways. Sometimes they're just hard to comprehend. I remember learning fractions in school. And the teacher, uh, you know, we were doing that greater than exercise and you chose which was a greater than number than the other. Four is greater than three. Those are easy, but then they started doing the fractions. They had one-fourth and one-eighth, and I said one-eighth is greater than one-fourth. She marked it wrong. And so I set out to explain to her that she was wrong. She's not just this time. Eight 
is bigger than four. She said, no, this is not eight, this is one-eighth. I said, eight is twice as many as four. She said, that's not eight and that's not four. That is one-eighth and one-fourth. That didn't make any sense to me. She said, let me put it to you like this. Would you want to divide a pie with four brothers or eight brothers? I said, I just got two brothers. I'm not getting any pie as it is. <laughs> but all of a sudden, when she divided that pie in four pieces or in eight pieces, it finally made sense to me. One-fourth is greater than one-eighth. Sometimes I read the Bible and I read it like a fraction. Or I read it like a, like a reason in geometry. I enjoyed algebra but when I got to geometry and they wanted me to explain the reason, I thought, what does it matter what the reason is? I've got the right answer. I, I, I'm, I'm a male, not a female. I don't care what, why that's the answer. It just is. I mean, the sky is blue and, uh, and, and, and God made the sun, moon, and stars, and that's the answer. And they said, no, 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 you have to explain why. They started explaining about these right angles and obtuse angles, and that was all obtuse to me, everything was. <laughs> they wanted to know why, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I read the Bible and it's like geometry, and I think, Lord, that doesn't seem right. But God tells me my ways are higher or greater than your ways. For example, when I read this principle about forbearance, Forbearance means to wait for judgment. Don't make a judgment yet, wait. Well, we're sometimes quick to judge, aren't we? I know why you said that. I know why you're looking like that. I know why he said that to her. We're slow in this matter of forbearance. We want to judge fast. This matter of forgiveness is tough. The Bible says forgive and I understand that, but when he says forgive as Christ forgave, that's pretty tough. When he says, and think about this, he said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, can I just reason with you for a moment? Everything God wants done on this earth, he has us to do it. Now, I'm not complaining. He wants the gospel preached to every creature, and he says that's our job to do it. I'm just reasoning and think if I have to do all the soul winning, I ought to get to do some of the vengeance. You ever feel that way? But God said, no, I'll take care of all the vengeance. You just do right. A little boy in Sunday school had heard the teacher teach week after week on others and others and loving others and serving others and one day he asked a question and, and she said, what's your question? He said, I just want to know what the others are supposed to do. Sometimes God's ways are so much above my ways, it's hard for me to comprehend that. Now don't forget, I want to do what's right to do. I really do. I want to do what's right to do. 
And then when I read about what God says is right, I want to do what God says is right to do, but sometimes it's difficult. This matter of forbearance, this matter of, of forgiveness, this matter of, re, of revenge, the matter of patience. It's not easy. Now, I want, I want patience, but I need them right now. I don't have time to wait till tomorrow. You understand. You're with me, right? Let, let, me, let, me, let me just tell you a Bible story. Ahab was the king of Israel. At that point, that nation had divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom. His wife's name was Jezebel. She was a wicked woman. She didn't believe in God. You understand when, a when Ahab asked for Naboth's vineyard, and Naboth said, I can't sell it to you. My father gave it to me. Ahab understood that's the law and he just can't do it. So he goes home and he's crying and, and uh, Jezebel says to him, what's wrong? And he said, I want Naboth's vineyard, but I can't buy it. I can't trade for it. The law says his father gave it to him. It's an inheritance. That's the law. Abraham uh, or Ahab respected that. You know what Jezebel said? I don't care what the law says. Kill him. You're the king. Take it. That's how wicked she was. At the same time, Jehoshaphat was a good man, a little bit overweight, but he was a good man. Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern kingdom. And Jehoshaphat was a good man. He loved the Lord. He led the people in worshiping the one God, and as a result, God was blessing Judah, the southern kingdom, and Israel was having a tough time and then famines and, and uh, all kinds of difficulty because of their sin. They had a couple of things in common. Ahab and Jehoshaphat had in common the fact that they were kings of the nation. It was really God's nation. And the second thing they had in common was Ramoth of Gilead was controlled by Syria. And they agreed on the fact that Ramoth of Gilead should not be controlled by the heathen Syria. And Ahab said, Jehoshaphat, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's join our armies together. We'll go take over Ramoth of Gilead and it will be under the heading of Israel and Judah. Now that makes sense. It makes sense that these two fellows would work together so that they could take this land back from the heathen, from the Syrians, and it would come back to God's people. But it violated a principle. We're not supposed to join the heathen. We're not to be unequally yoked with the heathen. Jehoshaphat and his wife had a son named Jehoram. Ahab and Jezebel had a daughter by the name of Athaliah. They married. So he brought Athaliah to Judah. You know what Athaliah brought to Judah? The hatred of God and the worship of Baal from her mother, Jezebel. In the short run, they took Ramoth of Gilead. So it seems right. We took that land back from the heathen people. It belongs to God now. It seems right. But just a few years later, I said just a few years later, we see Judah is under the wrath of God because of Athaliah. And not only did they lose Ramoth of Gilead, they lost their own country. They lost their own nation. You know why? It's never right to do wrong to do right. 
So we see two men that did what seems right to do, but they didn't do exactly what God said to do. And that leads me to the fourth statement. When we follow our right rather than God's right, even if it doesn't make sense, it turns out bad. It turns out bad. Amnon had a friend. Amnon reasoned with his friend and he took his own sister. He violated his own sister. And as a result, he lost his life. David stayed home from battle. I mean, what's one day off from battle going to hurt? And David reasoned. He said, everybody needs a day off. Everybody needs a time off. David stays home from battle, but it, was, it violated the principle of God. It was a time when kings went forth to battle. But he didn't do that. He stayed home. He lusted after Bathsheba. He took her as his wife. He had her husband killed. Look at me, it turned out bad. And then you know what David did? He got mad at God. Well, God, here I'm a king. I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to serve you. All I did was take a day off. And for one year, David was in anger and in bitterness. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of folks looking at me right now. And there are folks across this country. You did what you thought was right to do, but you violated what God said was right to do. And it turned out bad. And as a result, you're mad at God. You're mad at your parents. You're mad at your sister. You're mad at your brother. You're mad at your youth pastor. You're angry on the inside. You know why? Because it didn't turn out right. And your reasoning was, well, it did what was right to do. I thought it was right. I got counsel. Preacher, I prayed about it. I even fasted and I prayed. Can I tell you something? You can fast and pray for a month, but there's never a time God's going to give you permission to violate one of his principles. And so when it turned out bad, they got angry at God. Some would say, I have a reason, I have a right, and all of a sudden now us and God are at odds, not because we wanted to sin, but we wanted to do what we thought was right. Now, preacher, your standards are just too strict. Go ahead and criticize me for being too strict. I just don't want to be accused of living on the line. If you've got something to say, just go ahead and say he's too strict. But don't go around the country saying, boy, Brother Fugue lives right on the line. They didn't have any contemporary music, but boy, it was close. They didn't have any rock music, boy, it was close. They had standards, but boy, they were close. I don't want to, I'd rather be the fellow that said, I don't care how good I can drive. I don't want to drive next to the cliff. I'll drive over here where it's safe. So we get mad at God when we do what we think is right to do and it turns out bad and we get angry at God. As a result, anger turns into bitterness. And it begins to multiply in decisions and behaviors of life. We have disagreements. The only way to resolve them is to understand, listen to me now, 
that we are sinners and we make mistakes and we sin and we have to be willing to say, okay, God, I want to give up my will. I'm going to do it your way. I am going to give up how I feel. I'm going to give up what I think. I'm willing to forbear. I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to let you take care of the vengeance. I'm willing to be patient. I'm just going to give up and do whatever you want me to do. I don't know how many times through the years I've had a husband and wife fussing at one another. And here's what I heard them say. I said, is this the first argument you ever had? Oh, absolutely not. We've had some good ones. What did you do before? Well, I just forgave her. Well, why don't you forgive her again? I'm tired of being hurt. Now listen to me. I'm tired of being hurt. I'm not going to let her hurt me anymore. I'm not going to let him treat me this way anymore. I see, so you're going to die of bitterness rather than to forgive. So you're going to be full of anger rather than forgiving. There's a reason forgiveness is in the Bible. There's a reason forbearance is in the Bible. There's a reason that patience is in the Bible. And we have to come to the place if we're going to enjoy life is we have to give in to God. Even though when I do what I think is right to do and it turns out bad, rather than getting mad at God, I need to say, boy, God, I missed it. I'm sorry. I, I, I want to be right with you. There's only one person that has perfect justice, and that is God. When you come back to the story of Job, Job is angry at his friends. Job's angry at God. But you know what the Bible said? And God turned the captivity of Job when he forgave his friends. Job said, look, I'm tired of fighting. I'm, 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 I give. Fellas, I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. I failed. I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. Listen to me. When he gave in to God, God began to bless his life again. And God blessed his life with ten times more than he ever had before. I contend that Job's trials could have ended had he not got angry at God, had he not got bitter at God, had he not said, God, in this one you're not just, had he just come to the place that he said, Lord, I missed it, I'm sorry, I give up, I, for, I, I forgive my friends, I, I want to do what's right to do. Can I tell you tonight, being angry at God is not going to change anything. Being angry at friends is not going to change anything. Being angry at your mom mom and dad, being bitter at your mom and dad, being bitter at the world is not going to change anything. It's going to continue your anger. It's going to continue your bitterness until you decide there's no reason to live. Ah, oh, but listen to me, there is reason to live. There's joy in the Christian life. There's joy in surrender to the will of God. There's joy in walking with Him. There's joy in knowing the blessings of God. There's joy in hearing God answer your prayers. There's joy in that. You know, sometimes we pray a prayer and God answers it immediately. Sometimes we have to pray for a long time. Don't get mad at God, have patience. 
I'd made a trip to Washington, D.C. with a businessman here in Lexington. And I'd gone to meet with the Trump campaign last February to do some work in the Trump campaign. And so the businessman, he said, you get the airline tickets, I'll get the motel room. I got airline tickets on Delta Air from Lexington to uh, Reagan International Airport in Washington, D.C. He got a room in the Trump Motel. Ha! I said, man, you got style. I like that. I was thinking of the best Western or something like that, but I like it. We went to McDonald's <laughs> because he asked me, where do you want to eat? He said, I'd like to have a cup of coffee. I said, me too. My favorite is a small senior black. He said, I was thinking Starbucks. I said, well, you can think about that tomorrow. Right now, I want a good cup of coffee. We had several meetings that day. The next morning, the next morning, he said, preacher, I've lost my wallet. He's a wealthy fellow. I started looking. Man, I tore the covers off the bed. I turned the bed upside down. I said, man, these Trump beds are heavy to turn over. <laughs> He's nervous. New Christian. I just led him to the Lord a year or so ago. He said, preacher, is this something you can pray about? He's a new Christian. I said, sure. He said, all right, go ahead. Lord, help us find that billfold. He needs his ID so we can get in the meetings today. We need to get in these buildings. Lord, he needs his ID. Would you help us to find the billfold? I called a preacher friend that had gone to McDonald's with us. I said, do you know where that McDonald's was? I, don't, I, I didn't know where it was. I just went with the preacher friend. He said, I said, he lost his billfold. Would you call them and see if they have a billfold? How many of you think somebody's going to find the billfold of a man and turn it in? He called the McDonald's. Manager answered the phone. He called back in a few minutes. He said, preacher, he said, I talked to the manager. He said, last night somebody found it in the floor and they turned it in. We've got it. 30 minutes, he looked at me and he said, wow, preacher, that's something else. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you pray and God answers a prayer in 30 minutes. There's some things I've been praying a long time. I'm not going to get mad at God. Sometimes my flesh is tempted to because I reason like Job did. Sometimes his ways are like geometry to me. Sometimes his ways are like fractions to me. I don't understand them. They're above. But I never have victory until I yield to God's ways. I said I never have victory until I yield to God's ways. Let me ask you a question tonight. What's going on in your home? What's going on between you and your friends? What kind of anger, what kind of bitterness, what kind of frustration are you dealing with? Maybe you ought to say, Lord, I give up. I'm going to just do it the way you say it. I don't understand it, but I'm just going to do it the way you say do it. If I'm supposed to forbear, forgive, what I'm, I'm going 
to give up. You know what we call that? Right with God. I didn't say I understand God. I just said I'm right with God. As long as I argued with the teacher that one-eighth was bigger than one-fourth, we didn't get along well. And you know what? She won, and I felt like she's picking on me just like Job said. But when I realized she is right, things are a whole lot better. Stand with me, if you will. Everybody's standing, heads bowed, eyes closed. America is angry tonight because they think God's not fair. Any tragedy that happens, folks say God allowed this and God caused that and God allowed it. You know where joy and happiness comes from? Just saying, Lord, I don't understand it, but I know you understand it and I'm just going to trust you. Get rid of the anger in your life. Get rid of the frustration. Get rid of the bitterness in your life. Tonight, somewhere between your seat and this altar, you ought to put a bended knee on the floor and say, Lord, I don't always understand what the Bible says, but I want to do my best to yield whether I understand it 